Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Sometimes life can just get messy, the kind of mess that's just too complicated to figure out. All of us need to be refreshed in Jesus. It's possible to start fresh and to experience a life that is made new. This week, Pastor Andy talks about how to care for the most important aspect of yourself, your soul. Enjoy the message. And so how many of you in this new year, you've made some New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand online. You could just put it in the chat. How many of you made some New Year's resolutions? Nobody in here did? Okay, uh, you know, so when I ask that, it's participatory, all right? So let's do it again, all right? Raise your hand if you have, if you've made some New Year's resolutions. All right, awesome, awesome. All right, you know, it's, how many of you have already broken your New Year's resolutions? Huh? All right, really? All right, well, hey, we're really honest. Here are 2022's top New Year's resolutions as by whomever made up this survey, all right? Uh, number one, the New Year's resolution, and maybe this was yours already, was to exercise and eat healthy, all right? Some of you are like, I'm gonna do that, and now you're saying, I'm gonna do that next year, all right? So exercise and eat healthy. Secondly, it's to spend more time with family, that's good. Uh, third is cut back in spending. Fourth, I, this one's interesting, stop cussing. Um, five, reduce clutter. Six, clean out your car. Yes, survey said. Uh, survey says, read more, then make your bed every morning, and then finally, take up bird watching or any other hobby, all right? So uh, many of you have had a number of things that you have wanted to do. You've made a New Year's resolution. Some of you have broke them. But even talking about New Year's resolutions, you may be kind of sweating a little bit. You may be feeling judged or maybe even a little anxious because you didn't make one this year. You didn't make a New Year's resolution. Well, guess what? I want you to know, if you're somebody in this room that did not make a New Year's resolution, you are by far in the majority in 2022 because only 23 or 29% of Americans this year in 2022 said they were gonna make a New Year's resolution. They're like, you know, these last two years have been absolutely difficult, so we're just not gonna do it this year. So if you have not made a New Year's resolution, congratulations, you're with the majority of Americans. We're like, you know what, we're just gonna see what happens in 2022. But you know, what didn't make the list, which was really interesting though, is our soul. You know, whether you say that you're going to make a New Year's resolution or not, we all have priorities in life. We all have passions. Uh, we all have things in our life that we find that are valuable and that we're going to spend time on, that we're going to spend money on, that, that we're going to spend our energies on. And what's interesting is here in, in this whole list, uh, bird watching made the list, but what didn't make the list was uh, the, the eternal aspect of who we are, our souls. So I want you to know this, whether you are a follower of Christ uh, whether you are in church for the first time in your entire life or whether uh, you uh, have been born into the church or, or maybe uh, you know, someone invited you this week or you've been listening at home, you, know, you consider yourself a Christ follower, you're just kind of checking things out. I want you to know, no matter where you're at in life, if you've been born, and if you're here today, you've been born, you have a soul. You have a soul, a soul that is given to you at your birth and, be, and it will be with you for all of eternity. Jesus warns us that we are to take great care of our souls. In fact, I'm gonna invite you now to turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. The words will be on the screen if you're a guest with us today, but I invite you to turn into your physical Bibles if you have them. If you're regular with us, we really encourage that practice. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We'll break this passage down in just a moment. But I want to ask three questions. Three questions in light of the passage we just read. The first question comes specifically from Jesus, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now, if you believe that your soul is something that's made up or your soul is of little or no value, uh, then you will find yourself doing the live and let live mentality. Doing whatever you want with your bodies and making sure you don't miss out on a situation that makes you happy because after this life, there's nothing more. But if you believe that you have a soul, in which all of you do, you understand that the sum total is not the sum total of what you live, but it's your soul is forevermore, and it's important how you live right now. 
And so, many people have diminished, including followers of Christ, the value of their soul. I remember uh, years ago, uh, in an episode of The Simpsons, I know some of you, my mom didn't let me watch this show, but somehow I, I, I saw this episode, so sorry, mom. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I remember in this particular episode uh, that Homer Simpson, who loved donuts, and we love donuts here at uh, Kenosha City Church, uh, they ran out of donuts, and so he sold his soul to the devil for a donut. And I remember people at school like, oh, did you see that episode? Oh, man, can you believe that? That's just so silly. Why would he do that? And it's easy to laugh at a, a situation like that, but in all reality, how often do we neglect our soul? Neglect our soul for so many things in our life. And they're not necessarily bad things. They can be good things, but yet they become the main thing in our life. They can be hobbies, they can be jobs, our, our possessions, our, our friends, or feeling like we belong in some type of, of community or culture. And so Jesus asked this question. He asked this question to his disciples. He asked this question to us. It's not just that, what if you had everything you wanted in your hobby, or you had every relationship that you wanted, or you had all the money that you wanted, or whatever that is. What if you had the entire world? What if you gained the entire world, but it cost you your soul? Would it be worth it? That's what Jesus is asking. And what he's implying here is this, is you can gain the whole world, but if you forfeit your soul, you're bankrupt. You see, your soul is more valuable than all the valuables in the world of all time held in one hand. If you could hold all the valuables in your one hand, which you can't, there's so much of it, your soul is worth more than that. Your soul has eternal worth. So Jesus wants to make it very clear, we often sell ourselves short, literally. Second question then is this, we should clarify this. If the soul is valuable, then what is the soul? What is the soul? When the Bible speaks of the aspects of our being, it can be complicated because oftentimes it's not defined with exactness. For instance, often the Bible will talk about the soul, it'll talk about the spirit, it'll talk about the heart, and it uses it as uh, synonyms. Other times they have completely different meanings. And what's important, no matter when you study scripture, and we are to be students of the Bible, we're to be students of scripture, we're to be constantly learning from it, we need to understand that we do not provide the context for the Bible. Did you know that? Uh, you may have been part of a Bible study, or maybe you've said this yourself, where you, you read a passage, and you're like, what this passage means to me. And wrong. Uh, the passage doesn't mean to you. It's what does this passage mean for you? You don't provide meaning or context. Uh, God has inspired Scripture uh, to perfectly inform us, to be authoritative for us, uh, to lead us into godliness. And so uh, the, the, the thing that we need to worry about here is, okay, what is God's word saying and how can I apply it to my life? I don't provide the context. So when things are hard, when, when we have to study scripture, we have to understand context. Context is key. And so the soul Jesus is talking about, specifically in today's passage, uh, it comes from the Greek word suke, which speaks of one's entire life, the embodiment of life. The soul uh, our souls make us very different than inanimate objects, like a rock, right? Uh, we are very different than a rock. Uh, when you step on gravel or blacktop, as you did coming into this church, you're like, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's an inanimate object, all right? You're not worried about hurting it. It doesn't have a soul. It's not alive. But just because something is alive, though, doesn't mean that like we're like an animal or a tree, what makes us different than all other living beings is that we were made, humanity was made in the image of God. We were made to reflect the goodness of God. And so, God has made us a dichotomy of our bodies and our souls. Our outer bodies are to honor God, and our souls, that is the inner portion of ourselves, is the seed of our feelings, our desires, and our affections. So when Jesus is talking about our soul, he's thinking of the totality of us, but he's saying there's an outer being, our bodies, and then there's the inner being that is our life. Uh, that is uh, what we choose to believe. That is what our feelings, our desires, our affections. I heard it said this way. We don't have bodies with a soul, but we have a soul that is with the body. John Piper said it this way. You are a soul and you have a body. 
You are a soul and you have a body. Your soul is your essential life. It's what animates your body and continues to exist when your body dies. You see, your soul was created upon conception. That's why every conception is a miracle. God continues to create. Uh, he creates your soul in that moment. He may have known about you in eternity past, but your soul didn't exist in eternity past. You were created at conception. It's a beautiful moment. But when you die, your soul lives on. Your soul leaves the body and it lives on. In fact, uh, we're told what happens when you die in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, just as it's appointed for people to die once and after this, judgment. Every single one of us, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we will die and then stand before God. And if Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we'll stand before him instantly. We will all stand before the Lord God Almighty. We will continue to exist even after our death. The question is, will you know Jesus? Will you know God? If you stand before God, two things are going to happen. Number one, you have placed your faith and trust in him while you're on this earth. You've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he's your savior, that he rose from the dead. If you place your faith and trust in him alone, that means that you can know that you are in good standing with God. Why? It's not by anything that you have done. It's all what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. You receive that free gift. And what happens to that person that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus during this lifetime is that your soul is given what's called a glorified body. Now, after this series, we're going to do a series on Revelation. Uh, in about late winter, uh, early spring, we're going to do a series on Revelation. We're going to talk a lot about this aspect. But when you uh, die, stand before Jesus, and if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, your soul is given a glorified body to live forever. A glorified body that will no longer get sick. A glorified body that will no longer experience disease or anxiety or depression or death itself. But for the soul that did not accept Jesus Christ as Savior in this lifetime, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear that you will spend eternity away from Jesus. You'll spend eternity away from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Now, Jesus came to this earth. It is not his will that anybody perish. It's not his will that anybody would spend eternity away from him. However, we have the responsibility as a person to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And for those that have not received Jesus Christ as Savior, we will spend eternity away from him. So our souls are forever. They'll spend forever somewhere. And our souls, again, they're so important. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, deep down inside every person's heart is a cry for something. But he doesn't quite know what it is. Humans are a worshiping creature. They instinctively know there is something out there somewhere. And they long to know that something or someone. Your soul, which is forever, longs to know God, whether you know it or not. Your soul is valuable. It's of eternal worth. And God created your soul to know him personally. God takes great interest in you knowing him. He already knows everything about you, but he wants you to know him more and more every day and wants you to become more and more like him every day. But know this, just as much as God has a great interest in you, so does the enemy. The Bible calls the enemy the devil. The devil wants nothing more that your soul become distracted, separated from the things of God. If you're not a follower of Christ... He wants you to keep away from uh, the salvation that Jesus offers. If you're a follower of Christ, he wants to sidetrack you with this life. He wants to sidetrack you with maybe your possessions or maybe he wants to sidetrack you with, with drama or bitterness that you're experiencing. So our souls are forever. What is the soul? It is our inner person. What is the soul? The soul will either know Jesus Christ or it will not and he'll live forever in either heaven or hell. So question three, and this is a very personal question. In fact, if you remember any of these questions this morning, this is the one I want you to remember. How goes your soul? How's your soul doing? Is it healthy? How is your soul this morning? To answer this question, I want to look at uh, what drives many of our resolutions and goals in life. I want to look at our passions, and I want to look and our priorities. So, to answer this question, how goes your soul, how's your soul doing, let's look at what you're passionate about. Because what you're passionate about is gonna drive you a certain direction. When you hear that word passion, 
Passion can be seen in what people are involved themselves in, what they become enthusiastic. You can tell by people's voices what they're passionate about. And they're like, do you want to watch the football game today? Do you love the Kansas City Chiefs? Which I do. Like, yes, I love them. Yes. But if you're like, you want to watch football day? Yeah, I want to watch football day. No, you can see that the second option there, there's no passion in there. It's begrudging. You can tell by how people, what they're passionate about, often by their voice. My dad, he's a super passionate person about everything in life. Everything my dad's about, oh, he's about. And if you've never met my dad, uh, he is me times 100. People think that's not possible. Ask my wife. Uh, that's true, isn't it? All right, and she's shaking her head yes, all right? So my dad is eccentric upon eccentric. And I remember a few years back uh, during the election, uh, he was all about like, we need Jesus. We don't need the politicians. We need Jesus. And he had these big old signs saying Jesus is king, all right? He had all these, these, these giant yard signs. He's like, Andy, I want you putting this in the front yard. I'm like, Dad, I'm not putting them in the front yard. He's like, I, want, I'm a, I believe everybody should have these in the front yard. My dad literally bought thousands of these signs. And no matter where he would travel to around the country, he would, he would literally litter the town with those signs. And so he came to Kenosha. Oh, yeah, he did. And he came and he came to visit one Sunday morning. And we went to lunch. And I said, Dad, all right, it's been great seeing you. And he went off to drive off home. Oh, no, he did a little detour before he went home. He went and he littered Kenosha with these Jesus is King signs all over the place, all over. In fact, some of them, I think, were in Uptown for months to go. I'm like, oh, there you go, Dad. You know, my dad is absolutely passionate. And when he has something in his head, you can't get it out of his head. Our passions. Man, it's something that is a million-dollar book industry. Hundreds of books are written on the subject. There's whole conferences on finding your passion and living your passion. But what I find most often in these books and conferences and even shows that teach us what to do with our passions, to live your passion, is oftentimes we can make passions in themselves the end goal and even our God. Because the question is this, just because you're passionate about something, does that mean that something is right? Does that mean that passion is correct? Does that mean that passion is leading you down the right path? We have to ask ourselves that. Because just because you're passionate about something, doesn't mean that something is correct. We should be passionate, but passionate with the right things, with the right foundations that are found in Jesus. In fact, in the Bible, uh, passion comes in the word pathos. It's where we get the word path, uh, and this is really illustrative. Whatever you're passionate about, think about what you're passionate about. You're led down that way, aren't you? If you're passionate about something, you're going to end up down that path. Pathos is also where we get the word apathy. That is the lack of feelings or empathy, uh, where, we have, where we can feel the feelings of someone else. It's where we get pathetic, which means to feel pity. And it's also where we get psychopath. Uh, it is an unstable person with passion. The Bible, when it actually uses the word passion, actually correlates more with suffering, the passion of Christ. And what we can learn about the word passion in Scripture is this, is that even though it's not pleasant, if you have the conviction of what you are doing is right and you're all about it, you can endure those hardships that you're facing and continue forward down that path. So to give a simple biblical definition of passion, it's this. It's bold actions rooted in the belief of a person or a thing. It's bold actions rooted in the belief in a person or a thing. I'll say it one more time since it's not on the screen. Bold actions are rooted in the belief of a person or a thing. If you're passionate about something and you really are passionate about that thing, you are going to act upon that. You're going to talk about it. You're going to be excited about it. Your life is going to be encompassed about that thing. Why? Because you believe in it. Why? Because you believe in it. If it's hard, it's worth going down that path. And so my question to you this morning is this. What are you most passionate about? Be honest. What are you most passionate about in this life? Passion can be good. It can be misplaced. And it can be downright bad. A picture of passion can be seen in Peter's conversation with Jesus. Let's go back. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief of priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Now, this conversation, I love it, by the way. We're going to break this down. Uh, it, it demonstrates a great divide between what Jesus sees and what Peter sees. I mean, we can apply this in our life. There's often a great divide upon what God is doing and what we think what God should do. And in this instance, Jesus is explaining to his disciples in very specific details where he was going to go and what was going to happen to him. And this is absolutely dumbfounding to Peter. He's like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and die. That's not what the Messiah is all about. Are you kidding me? Like he thought Jesus should go to Jerusalem, mop it up, and take down all the enemies like a UFC squash match and show who's boss and tell Rome to get out of here, right? And that's what he thought Jesus was going to be all about. And far be it that Jesus would go and get killed. This, is, this was not in Peter's uh, narrative of who Jesus was. He was so sure, Peter was, of his vision that he heard Jesus' vision. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to rebuke him. And that's exactly what he did. We see right here, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Peter, full of passion. He loved Jesus. He thought what Jesus was going to do was actually going to happen. But Jesus had something completely different that he was going to do. And Peter's like, no, you can't do that, Jesus. He takes him aside and says, Jesus, I have a better idea. You can't, you got to stop talking that way. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm the head of the disciples and you've gone too far this time. No, 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 no. You're not going to die. You're going to be the savior and you're going to take down anybody who's in front of you. Peter tried in his passion to overrule Jesus. And in his passion of what he wanted from Jesus, he missed Jesus' entire point. In this misplaced passion of Peter's, he thought he knew better than Jesus. And in this moment of passion, Peter rejected Jesus' plan of redemption. Now, it's easy whenever you read the Gospels. <laughs> There's some comedy when you read the Gospels. Absolute comedy. You, you, read, you hear the disciples and some of the things that they respond to Jesus with just some of their answers. They're just straight up sometimes dumb, right? Like, are you serious? Like, you know, they're, they're, just, they're getting done from the Last Supper and they're walking down the hill and there's, they begin to get in an argument of who the greatest is. Are you serious? Are you going to do this thing? Yeah, they're doing it. They're arguing who the greatest is, right? I mean, you know, Peter, he's getting out on the boat and he's like seeing Jesus and he's sinking. There's just so many different things that you can read about the disciples and be like, they're with Jesus. Like, how could they do this? Like, they're so ridiculous. But we forget. We're those same disciples we so easily make such foolish decisions it's us god has plans god has commands and we begin to wrangle with god god no 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 not today i know that i'm gonna i'm i'm supposed to stop gossiping about that person but you just don't know well i think you do know god but you're gonna give me a pass because they're mean they're mean so i'm gonna keep on talking about them is that okay is that okay god God, I know that I have an anger problem. I know that the words that come out of my mouth are just not, they're not becoming of you. I understand that, but you know when I say those words, they know I mean business, God. They know I mean business. Come on, you understand what I'm saying. I know, God, I'm supposed to spend more time with you. I know I'm supposed to read your word, but God, I'm busy. I'm really, really busy. You know how busy I am. I mean, you've been blessing me with the job. You've been blessing me with the family. You've been blessing me to be good stewards of everything you've given me. And I just, I just don't have time to read your Bible today. I don't have time to, to pray to you today. You understand, right, God? We're, we're just like the disciples. We make silly arguments with our Lord, thinking we have a better idea and a better plan than what God has. We do it, don't we? Can we admit that? Come on. You know, I love what Jesus' response is to Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, you can't do that. You, you, can't, you can't go to Jerusalem and die. No, 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 no. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus' response, because, you know, 
Jesus is just so docile and kind, right, in Scripture, right? And so he just goes up to Peter and is like, so Peter, what I hear you saying is you don't want me to go to Jerusalem and, and die. Oh, I can see you're really passionate about that, Peter. Well, let's, let's sit down and talk about it and, and, and let's come up with a consensus of my plan and your plan. Because, you know, I don't want to offend you, Peter. And, and, you know, I mean, I think what you say may be valid. There may be some valid truth in that. That's not what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Oh, this is hilarious. I hope you laugh at this, but you know what? It's also, there's some big truth there. He said, hey, uh, Peter, yeah, I know your name's Peter, but get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Can you believe that? Like you're just talking to Jesus about something, like all of a sudden he calls you Satan? Are you serious? Why would Jesus do that? Because what Peter was asking Jesus to do was exactly what Satan wanted to play out. Satan knew that if Jesus went to the cross, it was game over for him. Satan knew that if the ways of Jesus were to play out, he no longer had any power. And that is what Satan tries to do with us. Satan is the enemy of God. He is the enemy of our souls. He tries to fill our life with passions. He tries to fill our life with things in our life that makes us lose hope in our Savior. And Peter, he wasn't Satan. That's not what Jesus was calling him as Satan. But he was saying, you're asking me to do the work and the plan that Satan would approve. And listen, it's understandable that Peter, let's, let's put some humanity on Peter here, okay? It's totally understandable that he wouldn't want to see Jesus go. Jesus was his friend. Jesus is our friend, right? Jesus, Jesus was, a, was a miracle working God, and he continues to be a miracle working God. He enjoyed his presence. He, he probably didn't even think of it in his own strength. How could I possibly live life without God incarnate standing in front of me? I can understand that. But what Peter was asking Jesus to do was definitely what Satan wanted this to happen. By the way, a word on Satan. Satan's a real adversary. He's not just some kind of boogeyman that we talk about theologically. He's real. And he wants your soul to either be completely disconnected from Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he wants you to... He doesn't want you to know Jesus personally. If you are a follower of Christ, he wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be completely useless for the kingdom. Satan, who was originally an angel, he rebelled against God. He took one-third of the angels with him. And he is completely trying to thwart God's plans today. Anything in life that gets in between God and his purposes becomes a false god in your life. And by the way, these can be good things, such as possessions or relationships, Sometimes it's even preferences in church. Did you know that? Just things that get you and take you away from the mission of Jesus is exactly what Satan wants for followers of Christ. So, what is Jesus' response? What is his response then to us? What are we to do with our passions? Matthew chapter 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So our passions. Passion is not a bad thing. But the passion needs to find its foundation in the Lord God Almighty. And what Jesus is laying out is a clear path for our passions. And that is this. We need to come after him. Deny yourself and take up his cross. That is this. It's denying oneself. It's renouncing your personal salvation. You cannot save yourself. It's renouncing your self-reliance. We understand that in and ourselves, we are not bent towards pleasing God. We're bent on pleasing and living for ourselves. And we need to realize this, is that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he gives you his spirit that we're to rely on. So as a follower, we are to walk in obedience in his power. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. Our natural default, again, is to rely on ourselves. We don't seek after God naturally. Our natural emotions, our feelings, our thoughts do not have a disposition towards God. 
So when you're feeling feelings that you know that are not of God, you need to pause for a moment. You need to realize what path you're going to go down. Sometimes we feel justified in those things. But what we see here is not feeling justified in however you're feeling or whatever your anger is or whatever your bitterness is. It's actually dying to yourself and taking up the cross of Christ. To take up the cross of Christ means there's sacrifice. Seeking after God must also be empowered by his spirit and not just our minds. I was once having a dinner with an individual, and they were deconstructing. What I mean by that is they had grown up in the church, and they're beginning to think through different things that they have learned, and, and through their knowledge, uh, they were coming up with different ideas of who God was. Not by the Bible, but just through their thoughts and podcasts. And so they came up with this. They didn't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin any longer. They didn't believe that God could do miracles. They didn't believe God's word was authoritative. And they had all these different lists of what they didn't believe any longer. And, I, and they were really passionate about it. And I asked them, I said, how did you arrive at that? If, if, the, if the word of God is no longer your authority, you're giving me things that you're super passionate about. You're giving me things that, that, you, that you hold to be self-evident and true. By what authority are you relying on? And they looked absolutely dumbfounded. And I said, it, it looks like you're relying on your own mind. They said, Yes, I, I think I am relying on my mind. I guess my mind is my own authority. And I said, listen, if I went through this life thinking that knowing that my mind is the ultimate authority of what truth is and what is true, I, I, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know about you, but our minds can be unstable at times. Now, don't mishear me. Your mind is important. We're to use our minds. It is a gift from the Lord. It is through our minds that we become convinced on what to spend our emotions on. It's through our mind that we can become convinced of what is true. But our minds don't make truth. Our minds are, are not the authority of what is true. Our minds can only respond to the authority of God's truth. Did you get that? We get this backwards sometimes and, we, and our passions get all sideways is that we, our minds, can recognize the authority of what is true, who is true, and that is the Lord God Almighty and his truth. So we see here that we're to take up his cross, which refers walking into the footsteps of Christ. When one places their faith and trust in Jesus, they are to take up his cross daily. That is to become more and more like Jesus. You get to know his truth. You, get to, you obey his commands. When you trust Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I am no longer king or queen of my life, but rather you are king, you are Lord, you are master. And because you're fully in control and all-knowing, I can trust you even when I don't understand it. And if I want to save my life, I realize i got to lose it and find it in you. And so we are not the final authority. Our passions are not the final authority. Our passions must be found in the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. And by able to find Jesus, we have to deny ourselves, take up his cross, and follow him. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, we will fill our souls with all sorts of passions. And it was the very passion that Peter missed the entire reason Jesus came to this earth. And in Jesus' love and mercy, he corrected him to put Peter's passions back on the right path. Many of us this morning, our passions, our passions of, of what we're all about in this life, they need to be readjusted. They need to be placed back on the right path where they give ultimate glory and honor to the person of Jesus Christ. That everything and, every, and anything that we end up doing in this life, it furthers the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is doing for all of us this morning. He's inviting us. Some, you may be feeling the rebuke of Jesus. Others, it's a still small whisper of his mercy to follow his path and to get your passions back on that path. It's easy to get sideways with our passions. But what you're passionate about will direct your inner being and it will reflect in your outer being. How you treat your body, what words come out of your mouth, how you treat others. It's why Jesus said that the words that you say are a window into your heart and your soul. It's not wrong to be passionate about things, sports, hobbies, work, your family. You can be passionate about things as long as it does not supersede your passion for Jesus and his kingdom. So where are you sideways? I want you to think about that. I want you to name it. Because your passions are the path of what you lead your soul down. What are you passionate about this morning? 
How goes your soul? Well, how are you passionate? Now, if you're passionate about the wrong things, there's two things I want to say just quickly here. You can have misplaced passions if, number one, you have unhealthy emotionalism. All right? So some of you might be in between here, but I'm talking about the extreme. Some of us are highly emotional. Some of us are highly intellectual. Let's talk about the unhealthy emotionalism here for a second. This is where emotionalism is disconnected from truth. It's about what you feel as if the reality is based only on what you feel. It could be like this. When you wake up in the morning and you realize, oh my goodness, I just feel like, I just feel dead to the world. We've had those mornings, right? Where you feel just dead to the world, you don't want to get out of bed, and you're like, I don't want to go to work, right? Well, most of you still go to work because you realize you might get fired or written up if you don't go to work. But can you imagine if you just lived by what you felt was true in that moment? Some of you would retire at the age of 25, all right? And so emotionalism, when it's disconnected from truth, uh, can set your mind down a path that is so not true. And so depending on the day, you could be apathetic. The next day, you may be passionate, all because you're relying on your feelings. And so God is good even when you don't feel it. Did you know that even when you're not passionate, uh, God's kingdom is still going? God, God is still in control. And God's promises are true even when we doubt them. Did you know that? In fact, there's a scripture that says that he's faithful even when we are faithless. And so we have to understand if you find yourself that you are, if you'd say I'm more of an emotional person, you need to make sure that your emotionalism is based on truth. That truth needs to be the engine, right? Uh, and, and your emotionalism needs to be the caboose. Unhealthy emotionalism is only satisfied when they're chasing a new experience. And many churches and Christians, by the way, have overreacted to unhealthy emotionalism by downplaying emotions or even the Holy Spirit. Now, let me talk about the flip end then. And so they become unhealthy when it comes to intellectualism. So unhealthy emotionalism uh, is disconnected from truth, but unhealthy intellectualism is where you downplay all feelings. God created us as emotional beings to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the modern mindset of being a rationalistic person uh, reduces experience to nothing, and that's not true. Uh, our facts must drive our experience, but it's, in, it's important for us to know that God has made us emotional beings to feel. So we can get drunk on being Bible experts that, uh, that know a bunch of things, but we don't actually put them into practice. We are a mission. Our church is a mission. Uh, we, we are not a historical society. Uh, we are not a club uh, we, are, we are not people that just know a bunch of facts. We are people to know facts so that we know how to act and relate to one another in this world. And so our passions can get misplaced if we are emotional, that is unhitched un, uh, from uh, truth, or if we're all about truth that has no action and emotion. We need to have both. We need to have both wings in the plane. We need to have spirit. We need to have truth. We need to have motion. We need to have truth. So how goes your soul? Where are your emotions this morning? Where have they gone sideways? Second question, as we address our soul and how it goes, what are your priorities in life? So you have your, what you're passionate, but your passions will drive you to prioritize certain things in your life. So what do you do in your life? If you're not passionate about God, I can guarantee you right now, you're probably not doing your, your devotional time. You're not spending time in God's word. You're not spending time in prayer. So what are your priorities? Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. The passage will be on the screen. You don't need to turn there. Deuteronomy 4, 9 says this. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And so we've gone back to the Old Testament here. And this is a particularly interesting verse because Moses is addressing Israel. And they're standing on the precipice of entering the promised land. Now, Israel had spent over 400 years as slaves in Egypt. Then they spent another 40 years of wandering in the desert, many of them dying. And now they're on the precipice of, of inheriting the promised land, the world of which God had promised them. And Moses knew that in their prosperity, they were going to be at risk of forgetting God. So he gives us a warning, not just for Israel, but it, that I think applies to each one of us today. Is when God moves in your life, uh, when God provides whatever he's providing in your life, uh, we need to make sure that what we see right here, keep your soul. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. 
The writer of the Hebrews in the New Testament warns Christians this way. In Hebrews 4.11, let us then make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. We are to keep our soul. How do we keep our soul? It's by what we prioritize in our life. Now, someone might be saying, no, wait a minute, Andy. I, I, I thought that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, that nothing can separate you from his love, that nothing can, can pluck you from his hand is what it says in scripture. Are you telling me that if you prioritize different things in your life, that somehow you as a follower of Christ can lose your soul? That's a good question. Here's the deal. When I talk about losing your soul, number one, if you don't know Christ, indeed, you can lose your soul in the aspect of being redeemed. But if you're a follower of Christ, what you can understand is this, is you're not keeping your soul in the sense of growing and living in a healthy life in Christ. So it's not about losing your standing before the Lord. Every single one of us, uh, we have had times of disobedient, times of sin, when you make it right with God in that moment. That's not what we're talking about here. It's that we're forgetting God and prioritizing the things of God in your life. Keeping your soul as a follower of Christ is getting rid of the weeds of your heart. Remember, we just, we moved into our house in July. In our backyard, uh, the people that hadn't lived there for six months in our backyard, which looked like a great landscape backyard at one point, it had become overgrown with weeds. There were nice, wonderful perennials, but weeds all over the place. Literally, it took us six months to weed our backyard, and we're still we're still going at it. It's still going to take another six months to a year to get rid of those weeds. But that's exactly what it is in keeping your soul. It's letting the overgrowth of weeds be removed. So how do you keep your soul? Let's, let's talk about some specifics here. Number one is salvation. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you need to know Jesus Christ. You need to receive him as Savior. Are you right with God? All right? That's really important. Secondly... If you're a follower of Christ, how do you keep your soul? Is having a life of worship. That is a life that you're declaring Jesus the greatest thing and everything and all everything that you do. Everything that you do is a declaration of God's worth in your life. So worship just isn't praise uh, that we do and when we sing. That's part of it. But your entire life is worship. And so in keeping your soul, it's realizing I exist for the glory of God. So what in my life is not glorifying God? Third is sanctification. Sanctification is a word that just means growth. It means becoming more like Jesus. And if you want to become more like Jesus, these elements need to be in your life. Number one is you need to, you need to make church a priority. In fact, the writer of Hebrews made clear that we need to not neglect coming together. It's so important that we are surrounding each other in the truth of Jesus Christ. The church builds each other up. We, we encourage one another. Secondly, if you want to grow and be more like Jesus, you need to talk to him. That means that you need to have a life of prayer. Third, if you want to be sanctified, you need to be submerged in the word of God. The word of God needs to be something that you're constantly uh, submerging yourself in each and every day. Another way that you grow in sanctification is reliance on the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. But you need to ask each and every day, Holy Spirit, will you fill me afresh? Holy Spirit, will you lead me and guide me? And finally, if you want to be sanctified and grow more like Jesus... You need to be willing to be part of the mission of Jesus in your everyday life. Again, it says only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. As Emmanuel Kenosha Church, we have made it a priority to reach every generation, specifically our young generation right now. If we don't reach the next generation now, what will end up happening is this. We will have many generations in which we want to be a church of all generations. But if we are not reaching actively the youngest generation, we will die out. We will be a, we will be a city that no longer follows Jesus. We'll be a city that, that will look back in the past and say, God, uh, you, you did amazing works in the past. No, 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 no. We want to see Kenosha City Church be a church. We're on the forefront of reaching generation upon generation upon generation of people for Jesus Christ. 
And that is our mission here as Kenosha City Church, is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want to see you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Our vision is that we personally connect others, uh, not just the pastoral team, not just ministry leaders, uh, but that we personally, that means you, personally connect other people to the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the heart of our church as Kenosha City Church. Because when people connect to Jesus, they're made new. It is my dream. It is our dream. We believe it's the heart of God that people's lives are changed in this city, in this region, and that marriages, they're on the brink of falling apart or restored. That people that are in a season where they're feeling really alone know they're not alone in Christ, and Christ has a plan for them ahead. And it, where, where people are broken from their addictions, where people that are ashamed of their past know that they have a future that, that, that is in front of them in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe this city can be changed because of Kenosha City Church. But it doesn't take a pastor or just a small group of leaders. It takes each and every one of us being passionate for the things of Jesus. Realigning our passions and our priorities. To say, Jesus, we want to make you known in this region. So we're going all in. Everything we do, we want to connect people to Jesus, to grow people in Jesus, to share the fame of Jesus in this city. We may do a number of things as a church, but the one thing that we must always do is see the gospel advance and the people of this church, Kenosha City Church. So, how goes your soul? Are you ready for Jesus to use you in new ways? that you never thought possible? Where's your passions? Where are they sideways? What are you giving too much emphasis? What are your priorities? For some of you, you need Jesus Christ in your life. For others, you're not living a life of, uh, of Jesus. and you're, you're not spending time with Jesus. Or becoming conformed to the image of Jesus is just a side issue. Jesus is calling you to radical obedience this morning. To become fully devoted followers of Jesus every bad attitude he wants it every root of bitterness he wants it every thought of lust he wants it every, every aspect of, of, of hurt or shame he wants it every aspect of, of anxiety or depression he wants it every aspect of, of where you don't think that God can use you he wants the attitude and he wants to give you his hope he wants to give you his vision that he sees you as a person that he can use in mighty and magnificent ways so let's wait on the Lord right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet us and to empower us to have us be used in new ways in 2022. Let's ask him to clear out different areas that are in our soul that are, that are hindering us seeing Jesus for who he really is and what he can possibly do. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to enlarge our vision for this region of our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, that are so far from Christ and they're desperately looking for answers. You have the answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Come into our lives now. To fill us afresh. And to give us fresh vision for our lives. Give us fresh realization of where we're not aligned with you these things that so get us worked up and out of whack that aren't from you, God, we pray that you would expose that to us now, God, that we would be aware of that. Maybe we're not even aware of it. That God, we give it to you, not in shame, but in excitement that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. As we continue to pray, I just wanna speak to anybody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ personally. How goes your soul? Well, if you've never placed personally your faith and trust in Jesus, your soul is so far away from God. And there's nothing you can do to save your own soul. But that's why Jesus came. He came to do what you could not do. See, God created you to have a relationship with him and your soul longs for things. That longing is actually longing after him, if you know it or not. 
That's what our soul was made for. And yes, you can fill it with a number of things, number of passions. But that's not ultimately going to satisfy. That's not ultimately going to last. But we're separated from the Lord God Almighty because we've done wrong. We've sinned. But God, full of love and mercy, sent Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to be among us, to die on the cross for us. And when he went to die on the cross for us, he took every sin that separates us from God, every wrong that we ever committed, and he forgave it in that moment when he's on the cross. And the reason why he was able to forgive it is because he was a perfect sinless sacrifice. And we know that because death couldn't keep him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. So if you want a personal relationship with Jesus, if you want your soul to be healed today spiritually, just cry out to him, say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. Just tell him that. Place your faith and trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. Cry out in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Believe on him alone. Today you're like, I need Jesus to save me. I want to make it personal. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, will you just slip up your hands and that's me? I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Just raise that hand up high right now and say, yeah, that's me. Thank you. That's me. That's me. We're going to continue to wait on the Spirit because I believe there's things in our soul that we just aren't aware of. And we're going to ask the Spirit of God to meet us there. So Holy Spirit, will you just reveal to us the things that are, we're ashamed of, the passions that we know that are leading us down a path that's destructive. Maybe even you're feeling a duplicit heart this morning. We're part of your hearts for the things of God, but then you get in other situations and you feel so far away from God. God wants all of your heart, all of it. What is it? What is it? For some of you, it is that bitterness that you need to get rid of. For some of you, it's that shame. Man, that shame's been lasting you for 26 years. For some of you, it's lust that's threatening your own marriage. Give it to God now. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would meet people exactly where they're at and free them. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.